0: And Ben, thank you, team, for serving us this morning, uh, helping us to connect with Jesus um, through song. What a wonderful uh, morning it is! Uh, really chilly; feels like the winter has now started to, you know, hit its punch. Um, but I'm excited to be here this morning. My name is Eugene. I am one of the elders at this church, and if you are visiting us this morning, I hope you really feel welcome. Um, also know that there's a family room there at the back of the hall. There's also a TV screen and that, if, if that is more comfortable for you in terms of if you've got small kids. Um, but we trust this morning that, uh, that you really encounter Jesus and, um, uh, and that He becomes everything in your life. And whether that is true right now or not yet, but that it will be. Um, so we are busy with a with a series where we're preaching on the book of Colossians. So if you weren't here last week, uh, so we started preaching on the book of Colossians last week. Donnie preached on Colossians chapter 1. And so this week we will continue to look at the book of Colossians, preaching right through it. It's got four chapters. It's kind of divided into, into two sections, chapter 1 and 2 and 2 and 3. Um, I want to encourage you that as we are, you know, reading or preaching through this book, that you would read it during the week, right? Crazy thing to ask, you know, of Christians, read your Bible. Uh, but I want, I want to challenge you, please don't just go and read through it, but study it. Go study it, go stand still. If you challenge yourself, do just go through one chapter, you know, take the week and go through the entire chapter one. Uh, you know, as we're preaching through chapter two, go through chapter two. And so, um, journey with us together as we uh, seek the truth of God's word to permeate our, our lives. So, uh, I've always had 20-20 vision. Well, so I thought, I think. Right? And so, I've, you know, I've never had to wear glasses nor contact lenses or that. And the other day, someone at work, they got, you know, new some spectacles, some glasses, And they were fooling around, and I had to put them on. And um, I was like, hey, I can actually see better with these. (laughs) Thinking, maybe I should go for eye tests. But I think I'm still in denial. But the the point is this. Lenses help us see, right? You know, they help us see better. They enhance things. They can make things smaller. Lenses are quite powerful. I mean, we can can look to the moon. The moon. A Hubble telescope can look like thousands of light years ahead. Lenses are powerful. Um, They make things lighter, darker. They can blur things. They can even distort things, right? Now, metaphorically speaking, you and I, we also have lenses, not the ones that you have to wear, like I maybe should. Um, We all have lenses through which we view the world, right? And this is called your worldview. It's called your worldview. Your worldview is made up of... You know, your experience, your upbringing, what you know, your culture predominantly determines the way that you view the world around you and make sense of it. Your worldview helps you to define actually everything in your life, whether you know it or not. You all have a worldview. And some of our worldviews were formed without us even knowing about it. Now, the church in Colossians, or the church of Colossae, they were having some, they were facing some some real challenges. They were a diverse community made up of Greeks that were, you know, um, obviously not believing in, in the Jewish God. And then, then there was the Jews who believed, you know, in, um, in Yahweh, the one true God. This was like the, the, the mix of the people that were in the city. But the church was facing some cultural pressures uh, and social pressures from the culture around them and uh, these pressures were basically from these two groups of people, the Jews and the Greeks. The Greeks had a polytheistic worldview. The poly meaning many in Greek, theistic meaning God or theist God. So they had a many God worldview. They had many gods, the God of fertility, Zeus, and all of that. And they would govern different arenas of life that they would, um, that they would believe in, basically saying that there is, that Jesus is just another God, right? And so they would just add Jesus as just another God. Then there was the Jews. They were uh, putting pressure on the the Christian community to observe the Jewish law. Um, They had to, you know, abide by every law of the Torah, the law of Moses. They had to get circumcised, eat certain things, and observe certain festivals And so the church was getting confused with what was happening. There was this melting pot of different philosophies, of different worldviews and religions coming in one. And the church started getting confused and there were some teachings coming into the church that basically was pulling in all these different worldviews and all these different opinions and philosophies and religions. And the church was getting confused. And so what happened with the church in Colossians is that they... um, was still viewing the world and the gospel and the word of god god himself through their old world view of being born in the colossians kind of mixed pot of culture the colossians started off well they received christ some of them some of them would join church some of them would get saved but the pressure and the beliefs of the culture started influencing the church The pressure of the culture started influencing the church and not the other way around. It kind of sounds familiar for me. And they started viewing God through their old cultural lenses. Now, I want to pose a question to you this morning. In the same way you and I need to ask ourselves the question, is your culture distorting the way that you view Jesus and the Bible? Or is the Bible clarifying how you view your culture and the world around you. And for that matter, every other culture, every other worldview, every other thing. And so Paul was in prison. Um, he did not uh, plant this church. He was discipling a young man called Epaphras. And Epaphras was kind of like, he reached out to this community. He was living there and he started a church. But he was facing all these challenges. He visited Paul in church. ah, in church, if only. In prison. And um, Paul decided to write a letter to the Colossians. And in warning the believers, addressing these lies and the doctrinal errors. And um, that is the the background or the the context of why the book of Colossians was written. The the context. And so we're going to look at how did Paul address this issue and what does it mean for us today. And so in chapter 1, preached last week. Um, mainly highlighted the supremacy of God, showing that there's only one true God, that he is Lord, Jesus himself. There were statements like, by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, authorities, he is above everything. All things were created through him and for him. Colossians 1, 16, 7. And And he is before all things, and then it says, in him all things hold together. Like, so he's trying to, he's, he's busy reshaping their worldview and their mind to him as one true God as supreme. And then he says that the fullness of God uh, dwells within Christ. And so then we're going to continue and look at what is he now saying in chapter 2 to them addressing this issue and how does it, how does it affect us. And so you can open your Bible or you can just simply follow on the screen and we'd have the scripture here at the back. And so we pick it up here from verse 6, chapter 2, verse 6 to 23. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of this world not according to Christ. For in him, the fullness of the deity of God dwells bodily and you have been filled in him. Another translation says you've been completed in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body with the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith and powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you were dead in your trespasses and in your uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive, made you to uh, made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Verse 16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or regarding festivals or new moons or Sabbaths. Let no one disqualify you insisting on ascentism and worship of angels, going into detail about visions puffed up with reason by a sensuous mind. Not holding fast to the head, which is Jesus, from whom the whole body nourished, knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God, not from self. Verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of this world, why as if you were still alive to this world, do you submit to these regulations, O Colossians? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. According to the human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom and promoting self-made religion and ascentism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They cannot help you to overcome sin. So he starts off, Right? In verse 6, and he says, Therefore, Colossians, that just as you have received Jesus Christ as Lord, so continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up in him. What was he saying? Well, firstly, we need to ask, how did they receive Jesus? We need to understand, how did we receive Christ? How did they receive Christ? Well, they would have received Christ. Epaphras was discipled by by Paul, who was writing this letter, would have given him the, the truth. Epaphras was preaching the undiluted gospel that said, you receive him by faith and not works, right? You realizing that you are dead in your trespasses, in your sins, dead, not alive, Uh, not living, dead, (laughs) right? Doomed to hell and that no amount of good works, no amount of good works or religious acts can close this gap between you, your sinful life, and a holy God, and you realize that the magnitude of your debt is too big and you cannot pay it. You are never able to pay it back. You are never able to make amends and appease this God who demands this wild perfection, holiness. They would have received Christ by believing that Jesus is Lord, that he is God, the only one perfect, the only one that is able to die for their sins. They would have believed that Jesus actually you know, died for their sins. That he died on the cross, that he nailed their guilt to the cross, and that he was punished and tortured for their sin, that he was killed, he was basically replaced. <laughs> Them receiving his righteousness, him receiving their sin, right? They would have received Christ by receiving God's grace, receiving his forgiveness, uh, receiving eternal life, no more condemned. No more dead in their sin, no more far removed away from God. They would have been, they would have received being reconciled back to God, right? Adopted as children. Now, that was just like a short eulogy of the gospel. Right? That 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 is the gospel that it is not by not by human effort, not by works, not by religious practice, but it's by faith alone, through grace alone. By Jesus alone, our faith in him alone. That is the undiluted gospel. And so then he was saying to them, he was reminding them, he says, Gu- guys, you started off well. You received Christ by faith through in his grace. And then something happened. What happened? In Galatians, you remember Paul writing to the Galatians, you know, just, just page from Colossians. He goes, you foolish Galatians. Like he really reprimands them. He says, you started off so well, who has bewitched you? crazy. Like who has taught you this nonsense that you are believing now? And in the same way, is addressing some of the same issues. So Paul was saying to them, he was basically saying this to them, that you don't just come into the kingdom of God by the gospel, but you live your entire life through the lenses of the gospel. The late Tim Keller, he puts it this way. The gospel is not just the ABCs, But it is the A to Z of Christianity. The gospel is not just the minimum required doctrine necessary to enter the kingdom. But the way we make all progress in the kingdom of God. And so basically what Paul was saying is that, hey Colossians, that you've you've taken some of your worldview and some of this, and you've put on these glasses to define the gospel where the gospel needs to define everything that you do. And see, as, as believers, many times we would kind of move on from the gospel. Yeah, yeah, great stuff, I got saved, hallelujah, I'm going to heaven. Jesus, thank you, not by, my, not by you know, my works, but by what you've done on the cross. And we kind of leave the gospel there behind where the gospel should form the foundation of everything and be the lens through which we view absolutely everything. And the Colossians started moving away from the gospel. And, and they started viewing Christianity through their old worldview lenses. Now, you see a picture there behind me. And it is non-different from what you and I do. And so before we got saved, you know, we, we, we kind of view the world through our own worldview. Let's say it's a non-Christian worldview, maybe tainted with some religion of some sort. Our, our, our culture is quite Quite religious, you would say. Family, marriage, the economy, money, business, government, church, medicine, relationships—we view it through these lenses that you grew up in, and what kind of the culture says things need to happen, right? And then, and then you get saved, and um, what happens is you kind of add Jesus to the mix, and so Jesus becomes just like uh, the polytheistic view that the Greeks. which is not far different from how people in a very religious culture like I would do exactly the same. They would kind of add Jesus to the mix. He's, He's somewhere there. And he doesn't ultimately define absolutely everything the way that we see it and we address it and align our lives to. And so this is exactly what the Colossians did. They reverted back to this very way of viewing the world. Jesus is part of it whether it's through a religious add-on that you have to do extra things, keep a lot of festivals and eat certain diets so that God can accept you, or whether it is Jesus just being another kind of form of way to God. Whichever way, that is the way they view it, and much that some of us could probably relate. But then when we get saved, next picture, when we get saved... You know, the Bible says that God is unlike anyone else. He's nothing like we, sh- like we know. And I also want to say this to you, that your worldview, whether you believe in God or not, is formed by your opinion or view of God. Whether you don't believe in Him, and that will ter- determine it, or whether you do believe in Him, but what you believe about Him, would ultimately determine the way that you view life in its totality the way you would address every situation in your life, the way you would handle your relationships, the way you would do business and think about money, your sexuality and yourself. And so when we get saved, what should happen is that Jesus would be the one, you go to the next picture, that should define absolutely everything. Almost like a a hub of a wheel. Think about a, a bicycle wheel, a wheel. He is the hub throughout which every truth Grow, And if you would remove the hub from a wheel, it would collapse. He is the one that holds everything together, Colossians 1.16. And he is the one that defines absolutely everything, right? Imagine that you, um, just think about the statement, husband, love your wives. And if I was saying this, and and here we had a bunch of Middle Eastern people, and here we had Western people, and here we had some uh, Eastern people, from different parts of the world, they would hear something completely different. And Paul was saying to them, guys, I am not coming to you through your own, I'm not saying this to you so that you can interpret it from your culture, and so that you can come and define through what it should be. But I'm coming to you so that you can understand that he is the one that needs to define everything, right? Business, maybe you're a business owner. Right? And so you get saved and you decide, well, but maybe the great thing is to do that I need to kind of pay my tithe or something like that. But Jesus is not really concerned about just parts of your life. He's really concerned about everything, the way that you treat your staff, the way that you treat your clients, the way that you structure deals, the way that you think about your taxes, your compliance issues. What is ethical is not determined by you. Because if we can be the ones sitting in the seat of truth, so to speak, we can make up for ourselves the way that life needs to be governed. And that is exactly what the Colossians was doing. And in many ways, maybe I shouldn't say you, and I should say in many ways I find myself sometimes doing the same thing. That kind of Christ gets removed to to my comfort or worldview of things, and I'm not allowing him to be who he is which Paul is trying to make a clear point throughout chapter 1 and 2, who he really is. Everything, business, education, work, he's got a lot to say about it. And so in him we are rooted and built up through, through the gospel. He continues in verse, in verse eight he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. And so the philosophy of this world, whether atheistic, polytheistic, whatever ism there is out there, will seek to take you captive. What does captive mean? If you are captive, right? If you are captive, it means that you are stuck. You are tied down. You are imprisoned. And you know what the devil wants to do? He wants to tie you down. He wants to take captive your mind and imprison you with lies, so that you will not live the freedom that Christ has given you on the cross." 2 Corinthians 11:3 says, "But I am afraid that, you, that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow, your minds might somehow be led astray with your sincere pure devotion to Christ. One of the most powerful weapons of the enemy church, we'll get to, we'll get to the last point, which is. Jesus is victorious, Satan is defeated, but let me tell you this, one of his greatest weapons is deceit, is lies. If he can get you to believe his lies, well, he's captured you, whether you are saved or not. You can be saved and be captured. Do you know that? And so the Colossians, obviously, like I said, that they were captured by these different philosophies. We read in verse 16, they say that, you know, he's, he's jumping to a conclusion here, um, depicting the gospel. And then he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink, and with regards to festivals or new moons or Sabbath. that these things are all just a shadow of the things to come. Christ is the substance. And let no one disqualify you, insisting on ascentism an, and worship of angels, going on in details about visions, puffed up. Just ascentism, that word, if you're like me, you had to Google it because you don't know what it is. Um, it's a clever English word, high one. It's, it's basically severe discipline and avoiding of all forms of indulgence. Uh, Saintism is typically what monks would do to attain some sort of you know, spiritual uh, ascent, closeness to God. They would deny everything in life, kind of chastising yourself to, you know, to be accepted to God. And so it's basically religion. Right? And so, so, there were these different lies in, the, in, in this community. Um, and so, essentially, here's what, the, here's what the devil wants to do. Oh, just give me a moment. Yes, yesterday, I was so stupid to think I can run in a casco race, and now I'm paying the price. <laughs> Anyways. This cappuccino is still uh, reasonably okay, and it's drinkable, it's, and it's not been touched. It's aborted. It's, does anyone want a cappuccino? It's from Seattle? No? Christo, come on. You want way. Okay, but we'll just hang on. Wait. Um, I want to add something. It's just um, you would like it, though. I know you. You would like it. So on my way here, there's just a bit of a sewage spill. I just got a little bit. And so, um, if you don't mind, Christy, it's just a drop. It's not much. Come on. Oh, you say? (laughs) (laughs) Let's vote, Christy. What do you want to drink? Right, point, point taken. You know what the enemy does? This is exactly what the enemy does. He comes to dilute, rather he wants to pollute the word of God and his truth. And he just adds a drop. He just needs to add a drop to get you to drink it. And then it's no longer a cappuccino, but it is, I don't know, a cappuccino with a twist or something. But it's no longer the truth anymore. You wouldn't want it if you knew it. But yet he disguises it so nice. There's no way that you would know. I mean, if you smell this now, it smells fantastic. By the way, you can still have it, Chris, Too. That was just fine pure water. You know, so you can... <laughs> so look, he's still, he's still like, ah. Uh, it's fine. I'll drink it then. I'll drink it. I'll drink it. But you know what the devil wants to do, church? He wants to normalize... He wants to normalize his nonsense, his lies within our lives. And so that we would put on the worldviews that's not clearly defined fully by Jesus. And so we are deceived. And let me tell you, it affects every part of our lives. The way that you treat your children, the way that you do business, the way that you treat your wife, the way that you handle conflict, the way that you think about money and everything around you. And the enemy wants to take you captive. I want to make this statement to say that anything other than the truth of God's word would lead to death. Would lead to death. Uh, verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. The fullness of God dwells in Christ. And, and then he says this beautiful thing. But Because he makes this picture all the time throughout Colossians 1 and 2. That God is in Christ. And Christ is God. And Christ is in you. The hope of glory this mystery of all ages, like, wait a minute, that just doesn't sound right. But he says that you have been complete or filled in him and that you have to add nothing to it because all authority has been given to him and to him alone. And so that if Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, church, and if all things are held together by him, Colossians 1, if life and abundance is through him, John 10 verse 10, Then anything else, church, anything else other than the word of God, any other philosophy and thinking, no, no matter what church you grew up in or religion, anything else is a lie, no matter how it's packaged. And the devil would want you to believe it. And as Christians, we need to allow the truth of God's word to define the way that we look at everything. Because if you believe anything other, and the next point that I'm, that I'm going to make and, and move into now, that Jesus absolutely bored all our sin, and he conquered death, and he was victorious over everything. Everything is a lie. Everything else that says anything else is an absolute lie. And so he was addressing this issue of worldview of truth, and then the last, the last overarching truth that he was addressing here was he was highlighting the power of the victory of the cross and the authority that the believers got through the victory of the cross. Verse 11 says, In him, and we will close with this, in him, also you were circumcised with circumcision made without hands. He's, he's, he's basically bringing the gospel, contextualizing it in their situation. And he's saying to them, uh, uh, with, uh, putting off the body of the flesh by circumcision of Christ, Christ being the one, um, through now you live, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised you from the dead, and you were dead in your trespasses and your circumcision of your flesh. He was like, well, great stuff. All those religious acts, all those efforts, all the going to church, all the wearing your suits, all the paying your tithes, all the doing your nice things, well, you were still dead. Well, well we got, you know, we, we're doing this, we're doing that, well, you're still dead. He said, it is God made you alive together with him, forgiving your sins, your trespasses. And now listen to this, verse 14. By canceling the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, he nailed it to the cross, and he disarmed the, lo- r- the rulers and the authorities, and he put them to open shame, triumphing over them. And so you know what Jesus did at the cross? He disarmed Satan in the Garden of Eden. Man was created. And God gave him authority to rule and reign on this earth. And then what did the enemy do? The same thing he's doing and he's continuing to do. He deceives you. And he deceived Adam and Eve. And you know what they did? They gave back the authority to Satan, the ruler of this world. And you know what Jesus did? He disarmed the enemy. What does it mean to be disarmed? If you are armed, what do you have? You've got weapons. Weapons that you can do damage. If you are disarmed, what does it mean? You don't have them anymore. So what do you have? Lies. Deception, right? But Jesus has triumphed over him. He was saying to the Colossians, listen up. You are made alive with Christ. You have been forgiven. Your guilt is nailed to the cross. You don't have to work for it. You cannot add anything to it. You just need to make me the center. You put my faith in me, the only one that can do it. Satan Satan no longer has the rule over your life. He no longer has the say over your life. At the cross, he was defeated completely. And so the devil wants you to believe that there is no hope, church. He wants you to believe there's no hope for our country and for your family, for the situations that you're facing. And I want to tell you he's a liar. Because in Christ, there is absolute hope. There is absolute life and absolute freedom. No matter what you are facing, within Jesus Christ, there is a future and there is a hope but in the one that he defines, not in the way that we define it. And so we need to lay down our lives. We need to lay everything, our backgrounds, our culture that we so hold dearly to and find our identity in. And we need to leave it and we need to come to Jesus with nothing. And you know what he will do? He will give you life and life in abundance the way that he has promised. And him alone can do it. Because our efforts try to uphold our lives. And it says in Colossians, he holds all things together. You can't. He can. And so Paul was inviting the Colossians back into this life. Where God is who he is. And they understand him and see him for who he is. And they replace these, these old spectacles <laughs> with the right ones. And so the final question, I'll come back to my first question, which I want to leave with you. Is that we have to ask ourselves, is your culture distorting the way that you view Jesus and the Bible? Is the Bible clarifying the way that you view everything in your life? Is that from which you live? Maybe some of you, there's some lies that you believe Maybe, it's, maybe some of them, through the Spirit, is being highlighted to you. Some of you, maybe uh, you, you sit here, you feel kind of a failure before God. You sit condemned. You feel like you cannot, cannot please God. Some of you sit here with sin in your life that you cannot get rid of. And I want to tell you that Jesus is victorious over them all, and today you can have that complete victory in Christ, and nothing else, nothing else, I mean anything else. Is an absolute lie. Paul was saying Jesus is sufficient. He is the one that's sufficient. I want to pray for us. Father, thank you that the fullness of who you are dwelt in Christ. Jesus, thank you that at the cross you condemned our sin. Thank you that at the cross you bore our iniquity. Thank you that at the cross you brought life back for us. You give us the keys to life. You gave us the authority over the works of darkness and through you and you alone is life and life in abundance, Lord Jesus. Jesus will give us this morning where so quickly we, we get entangled with the opinions of this world their reasoning, their philosophies, their way of thinking, whether it's from a complete atheistic view or from a religious point of view, yet man-made in his essence, like Paul said. Jesus, forgive us. Forgive us as we, as we kind of just add you to parts of our life. And, and you have not become preeminent. And you are the center of everything. Lord Jesus, forgive us this morning. If you know it's you this morning, I want you just to agree in your heart as I'm praying. And you repent before God. And so Jesus, we, we repent of this. and We turn to you. We leave it behind. We turn to you alone, Jesus. And Lord, we come and ask that you would come and define our lives for us, our identity, our psychology, our relationships, our marriages, our futures. Lord, we choose today to turn to you. We choose today to say that Jesus, you are our Lord. We thank you, you are our Savior. May you come and take your rightful place in our lives. We turn away from our sin, from our own worldviews that we hold so dear. Lead us into truth, Lord Jesus, by your Spirit, that we may know the truth. Because it's the truth that would set us free.